Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another great episode that we're going to have with Mr. Simon Osimo. This is part two of our talk with Simon, and in this episode, we'll talk about some of the greatest investigations he's had and why he made the switch from being an investigator to an entrepreneur. Um, but like one of the questions I had was like, you know, you said you were presented with almost like 30 to 40 cases at a time. So were you trying to like take, sorry, were you trying to take as like the most time that you could for each case, like be really detail oriented to make sure that you got to like the correct like solution almost? Or were you trying to like go through them really fast to get as much done as quickly as possible? No, and, and, and so here is a very challenging uh, here's a very challenging place that you, that the occupation can put you into. And um, this, this came this came out recently. I had a conversation with my brother back in England. Uh, he works in sort of mental health. And one of the things that you quickly learn, and again, this is why sometimes you have to be careful what stories you share with people outside of your world, because you can deal with the pressure, you can deal with the debt responsibility that comes with it, because you can't save everyone. So the reason why you can see so much human brokenness and it doesn't affect you as much is that you know you can't save everyone. You've got to focus on the ones that you can save um, because otherwise the hurt and the pain that you see in the world will drive you crazy. So being very transparent and honest, what you had to do were prioritize those cases that you believe that you can solve. So there were some cases where the victim didn't get the same level of depth of investigation um, because you've got to focus on those ones that you can save to, to remove those bad people from, from harm. So yeah, the, of the 30 cases that I'd have, there were always some cases that consistently get being pushed to the bottom because it was financial crime, white collar crime, and I've got a serious assault against someone. I've got a sexual crime against someone. You know, I've got a homicide or I've got some uh, a drug deed or something like that. Those ones go towards the top. Other crimes get pushed towards towards the bottom. And, and, and tragically, that's the way it has to be because you can only focus on the ones that you can you can detect. You just don't have the time in today's world to, to give them all, all that time. So again, prioritization is a key skill and and with a depth of responsibility to understand you're changing people's lives by not looking at that case does that make sense yeah yeah like you mentioned some like towards the end of what you were saying some of the cases or some of the different types of cases you had to solve so like i want to know like does an investigator do they like specialize on one sort of like problem like it could be like homicide or it could be like murder or something like that or do they or do they sort of like have or do they solve like like a whole genre of cases like or the question I have for you is like when you were an investigator yeah. like what did you feel that you were the best at um like what would you feel like were the best cases that you were the best at solving yeah really interesting question so um here in the UK and I think it's very similar in the US is that um if you're a sort of a, a detective working at a sort of a, a, a PD, most often you're going to hit a cross section of various different crimes. Um, but there's always specializations in today's world within those. So you could just be a homicide detective, you could be a sexual crime detective. But again, it depends on the size of your um, police department. What I used to like about my police department in England, which had around sort of 4,000 sworn officers, which is very large, is that we would handle everything in there. And I later specialized in organized crime and covert policing. 
Um, but my general focus when I was a, a start off as a detective was just handle like a wide variety of, of crimes. Um, so, so that's what I'd say about what it looked like. And what did I enjoy doing the most? I mean, being very honest, where I used to come alive was similar to us having this conversation now was when someone was arrested and then you would do that interview. Um, most often I was very blessed that I have a very good memory and often I wouldn't even go into the interview with a paper or a pen. I would just go in there and be the assailant. They would even look at me and their attorney would be like, you know, where's all your stuff? Where's the evidence you want to present? And you know, what is it you want to talk about? Uh, and for me, it was just like, well, we're just going to have a, have a conversation now. And we're just trying to try and get to the bottom of what happened. Um, and I think by having those conversations, learning about that person, it really used to open them up. And I've had some fascinating conversations with some very sophisticated criminal minds, just because I'm interested in learning about them and their, their journey. So I really used to get excited about doing those interviews, really working out, okay, you know, the, the why, what, why, did, why do you do the things that you do? Sort of, uh, what drove you to be this person? You know, what, is, what is it in your background? that um, made you become the way that you are, you know, nature versus nurture. Was it, a, you know, um, the, the, the parenting, sort of environment that you raised in, all those really interesting things. Um, what I used to find by asking those questions, it, it would open people up. Uh, and then we'd then move into a sort of, well, well, let's now talk about this, this offence. Yeah, like, that's really great to hear how, like, some traits that people have, they can really help them, like, excel in their job. Because I feel like, you know, if you're an investigator and you come in um, to talk to, like, a suspect, and, like, you sort of, like, you're dressed normally almost, you don't have, like, a massive stack of papers, they're not going to feel intimidated and they'll actually, like, be able to, they'll actually be able to, like, open up to you um, and hopefully tell you the truth. So, uh, and this kind of like, and like the reason you like talking like to these people, it sort of relates to how, like why you became a police officer, because you honestly thought that you could relate to the people that you were talking to. So I want to know if that was still similar when you were an investigator, like, did you feel that you could still relate somewhat to the people that like you were interviewing? Yeah. And you know, the, um, Here's the reason why, I'll tell you one of the things that I discovered again, you know, I, I have the wisdom of age, um, but the reason why it's really important to find that purpose and things that you're passionate about and, and be vulnerable with people is that, you know, so I mentioned that my parents separated before I was born. Um, and in my teenage years, I used to be quite um, you know, angered at my father and I used to sort of, you know, it caused a lot of hurt and pain, but I didn't have a father figure in my life. But here's what I then learned in later years. Uh, a friend actually said this to me recently. He said, you seem to be in a good place with your dad, but you've sort of forgiven him. And I said, well, you know, here, here's one thing that I um, came to. I, I said to my friend, I don't know what my granddad was like towards my dad. I said, you know, may, maybe, maybe it's not my dad's problem. Maybe it's my granddad's problem. And he's re repeating the behaviors. So it's really hard to solely judge my dad without knowing what his upbringing was like when he was a, a child uh, and what made him the person that he is today so it gave me a lot of comfort there so when i relate that to 
being an investigator and talking to these people, you, know, you can judge them, yes. Some people do some very heinous crimes against society, but you don't fully know, you don't um, always understand or appreciate or get to the story of, well, what did they go through that made have made them, that might have made them the person that they are? And I think if you can get to that point, um, not justifying what they've done as being wrong, but if you can open your mind to perhaps maybe there's a bigger picture here. Maybe this person committed this crime because of an environmental behavior, because of a family behavior, because of a mental illness behavior, you know, that's untreated, whatever it is. That really becomes very freeing and you can very, you can see different different things in for sure. Definitely, yeah. And that's actually like a, a lot of the discussion that's going around um, in school as well, because I think in school, uh, in AP US History, which Nathan and I took last year and Rishi is taking this year, uh, we read a book called like Reading with Patrick. And essentially what happened is um, this guy named Patrick, he like grows up in a low income neighborhood. Uh, so he ends up shooting somebody, I think. Uh, but yeah, he ends up stabbing somebody. But the but I think what our teacher was kind of talking about was the re the reason that he stabbed him was not necessarily because of his like immoral behavior. It was kind of like the environment that he grew up in, like not being able to get a proper education, etc. And those factors kind of accumulated and led to him stabbing him. Um, but yeah, we kind of wanted to shift the conversation actually a little bit to more of the business side because obviously you yourself are an entrepreneur uh, and you have a security consulting firm so if you you know could talk a little bit about how you came up with the idea to create that what exactly you do and kind of the process by which you went around creating that firm and uh how it's doing etc that'd be awesome yeah, so I actually have um, two organizations. I think one thing I would say is that I've always been a bit entre entrepreneurial. I mean, see, I mentioned that, you know, from 19, I bought my first house. And by 25, I think I had five or six um, different houses, which, which I was renting out. So I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial um, bug, if you like. Um, but I have a company called Kingswood Security Consulting, which provides risk management solutions for um, sort of non-profits and organizations on how to stay safe. Uh, and then I have um, a second organization called Worship Security Academy, which focuses on training for church staff and volunteers, where one of my passions is uh, within, within my faith. And I think um, that the reason why I think that I was able to create those two entities it is here's something here's some advice that I would give you about the corporate world and just business in general is that a lot of police officers will often say well I don't know if I have any transferable skills um, I don't know if I can survive in the corporate America or I don't know what to do and here's what I would say that most often in life particularly in work you are your success is determined by how many problems that you can solve for people. So people generally buy to solve pain, they don't buy for pleasure. And because my background is sort of making difficult decisions, being very analytical, being very methodical, being very forward thinking, looking outside the box, it makes me outside of being a servant leader, 
it makes me really my second strength is a problem solver uh, and, and how many problems you solve for people is generally how you get rewarded so i think that's how i managed to trans transition very easily from being in sort of corporate america sorry from being even in corporate america or working in the police to then being entrepreneurial because i'm I, what i do for people is i, I problem solve they have a problem as to how do we keep our staff safe i go in i identify what the gaps are i give them solutions for those solutions they, re they reward me or I offer them ways to uh, to sort of mitigate mitigate that risk so yeah I, I think that's that's sort of the transition in from law enforcement into the corporate america and and yeah a lot of it you, you learn i think you're also a life learner you know learning how to create an llc company learning the rules and regulations again you're seeing the theme here you've got to to learn you've got to research research was the key part as to what i did as being a detective uh, if there's a problem you know, I used to have to try and find those solutions. So um, the transition was, was very simple. And if you're a lifelong learner and you're willing to um, put the work in to solve those problems, um, the, the transition sort of was, was very easy. Does that help? Yeah, definitely. Because uh, the main thing I was kind of asking there was how'd you go from being in the police and doing these other things to you know starting your own business right those are obviously very different things and you talked about the importance of being a lifelong learner and uh, i think that's the thing that a lot of like high schoolers the way the education system is kind of set up these days they're kind of neglecting in the sense right because yeah. they're so focused on just like preparing for the exam uh and i know nithin and rish and nithin rish and i do this a lot too where like we think okay well, this isn't on the AP exam, so why should we learn this? And it's like, hey, that, that's not what school is for. You know, you got to take a broader view and think about the, the importance of actually learning the new concepts, not just for the AP exam, but to actually apply them later in life. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and here's a key point that I was saying there. Here's a right. turning point. So comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. The only greatest person that you can be is the greatest version of yourself. So here's what I would say to your listeners. How about if you reversed trying to improve the things that you know that you're not very good at and you just focused on the strengths that you do have? We very rarely look at our skills, our gifts, our abilities. Other people have to say those things to us. If we look to really excel in the areas that we're good at, and stop trying to improve the areas that we're not very good at. I mean, my my written English is terrible. You know, I mean, how I've written two books, I'll never know. Um, but, you know, my, my skill is in communication. My skills are in problem solving. You know, my, my skills are in strategy and execution. So that's where I spend a lot of my time is in my zone of genius. I think, um, you know, the only greatest person you can be is the greatest person yourself. So it's really important to focus on you know, what are your skills? What are your gifts? What, what are your abilities? And, and focus less on what you don't have. Focus on the things that you that you do have. Yeah, definitely. In fact, like in school, I'm sure you've heard of the SAT. What there was this dude in our in in one of our classes who he literally took like two 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 practice tests and he pretty much got like a perfect score on the SAT. And like uh, I myself and I'm, a lot of people around us were. Uh, like kind of comparing ourselves to him and we were like oh shoot we're so stupid he, he's like so insanely smart but then 
you know, I, I, I kind of like, I kind of felt bad about that for a couple of weeks, but then I realized, you know, okay, I'm not on the same caliber as him. So I, I should well, just no, stop. And I, and I wouldn't say you're on, yeah, I wouldn't say you're not on the same caliber as him. That just isn't one of your gifts. You know, right. your, your gift could be something else. I mean, here's the thing. Everyone has a gift. No one has all the gifts. And which is why you really got to focus on what is your gift and then focus on creating your story. Like I said, the only greatest person you can be is the greatest version of yourself. So why do you want to be someone else? Um, because most of those people are Steve Jobs. He was unique for himself. You know, you don't want to be, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. He's unique for being himself. You know, you don't want to imitate or try and be someone else. You know, these individuals that we aspire to, they generally haven't walked in the footsteps of someone else. They, they've been the best person that they can be of themselves. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Uh, Rish, do you have any other questions? I can't think of any at the top of my head right now, but... Uh, yeah, like, I can comment about that. I feel like my, or the, my gift is that I can learn things pretty quickly. Like, like, for example, I can take something from, like, zero to 95% like really quickly, like, like if anything, like if it's learning a new topic in school or something, but then taking that 95% and going to a hundred, that's where like, I actually really have to work hard for it to get that. But that's just like my gift. So I wanted to ask you like the question, like, what do you think like your gift is? Is it like being able, or is it being very detail oriented or like, is it talking and conversing with other people? Yeah, I think that there's several things that I know that I'm good at and there's several things that I think I'm bad at. But I think one of the one of the life's lessons that I've learned, which has allowed me to be successful, is to, to know that you don't have to be the best to win. You have to be the most consistent and you have to follow through. When most people give up, they're going to start a podcast. Oh, it's too much hard work. They'll release five or six episodes and then stop. I will then push through. When someone feels that they can't get enough customers in their business and they give up because they've got to spend so much money on marketing, I will then push through. So I think one of my, outside of being a servant, servant leader, servant heart, I think having the ability to execute and just following through, you know, sometimes... The test is not the, you know, the race is not the test. The test is, can you finish? Um, and you often look at those people that are successful. They might not be the best. They might not be the best product, but they finish. You know, they, they cross that finish line when others have given up. And you can say that about various different products and services and things you see on the market. The most popular isn't always the best product, but they finish the race. You know, they, they, they accomplish what they set out to do when most other people give up. So I think um, that, that is most probably my, my key strength is that I will always persevere. I will always finish the race when others give up. And as a result of that, it gives me, it gives me the edge because not everyone will persevere, persevere through adversity. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people when they try to make two dramatic changes, that's when they end up, you know, kind of failing. Like for the podcast example you gave, I think what helped us a lot was we didn't start by releasing two episodes a week. We started by releasing one episode a week. 
And once we got it, kind of got comfortable with that and we're able to consistently get guests on actually, actually start getting ahead, like planning out the next few months of guests. Then we started to, you know, decide, hey, in the new year, we can start releasing two times a week. And since we were already acclimated to releasing one time a week, it was much easier for us to like release two times a week. And the same is true, you know, when a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to lose weight. Like they'll go on a crash diet and then they'll immediately come off within like the next one or two weeks. But if they instead think, okay, what if I make, you know, more gradual changes? Maybe I'll switch out my breakfast. I'll make that a little bit healthier. Then I'll I'll keep that consistent for a couple of weeks. Then I'll then I'll then I'll tackle my lunch and my dinner, etc. And that that kind of a gradual approach ends up increasing the consistency that you talked about, which is uh, very very important in um, success, as you mentioned. So yeah. yeah, that that's pretty much it for the podcast. It was a super interesting podcast. Um, we've never you're a super unique person that we had on because we've never talked about you know crime and like investigation and also like kind of the stories that you mentioned the experiences as a police in the police force those are really really engaging so thank you so much for coming on and to our listeners be sure to stay tuned for future episodes see you all next time that's our show for today now roll the credits High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Kadala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.